So I'm sorry for not making any podcasts for almost a week, but nothing has really been happening for the past week. Um, I mean, we had a pretty, just a pretty casual week without anything significant, uh, without any big news happening in the markets. Uh, we had a big, we had a big boat that got uh, kind of stuck. And uh, now it's apparently blocking 12% of the world trade, uh, which, I mean, is quite unfortunate. And that might lead to some increases in stuff like consumer prices and, you know, whatever ships, uh, whatever the ships are carrying. And uh, I'm not sure where those ships lead to exactly. Uh, I haven't done too much research on this. But I mean, other than that, no real big news has been happening uh, over the past week. And so instead of looking back in the past week, the news that's been happening, I want to talk about uh, what will happen in the future, especially uh, kind of the near term future, one or two years ahead, uh, maybe three, but more so one or two years ahead. And uh, what really will happen in, in the short period of time. And I think this period of time is a very important period of time. Because we have things like uh, QE that might slow down. Uh, right now the Fed uh, is trying to buy uh, around $120 billion of assets uh, about 80 billion is U.S. Treasuries, and about 40 billion is mortgage-backed securities. And you know they're trying to buy 120 billion dollars worth of assets every month. And they said they'll keep interest rates low for uh, all the way until around 2022. Now, what's very important is you want to know what's going to happen after that. After 2022, you know, when the Fed predicts that uh, the economy is going to come back and uh, jobs are going to all come back and the economy is going to be stable again, GDP is going to come back. And additionally, the Atlanta Fed uh, forecast for the GDP growth in uh, 2021 is 4.7%. Now, that's a big number, but if you look at it from where how low we were kind of starting off, uh now we were much lower back in 2020 and we've had, you know, double digit GDP growth in 2021 or sorry, in 2020. And now we're higher up uh in our GDP and so you know, the estimates have come down from last year, but still, I mean, they're still quite high. And the question is, you know, once they end their uh, monetary stimulus and once the federal government stops giving all these stimulus checks and all these relief packages, you know, what are the effects of that? And something interesting is, you know, like right after the uh, 
$1.9 trillion stimulus. You know, now Biden's trying to, trying to uh, pass a three, uh, $3 trillion, not $300, uh, $3 trillion stimulus. And it's going to be, uh, well, at least he says... It's going to be used on stuff like infrastructure and, you know, green energy and and fighting climate change. And it's funny because, you know, uh, you know, one part of the three dollar three trillion dollar stimulus, he says he's going to use it to try to reduce economic inequalities. And uh, what does that mean? Well, maybe maybe universal basic income. That could be an interpreted meaning. And uh, it's hard to say because, I mean, who wants the free money, the free stimulus checks to end? Well, nobody right now who's getting paid more for doing no work wants to go back to work and get paid less. And so politically speaking, if you want to please the mass, uh, keeping the stimulus programs is a great political move. Now, maybe that's not the best economic move, and I don't think it is a good economic move at all. But that, I mean, I don't think it's, I don't think it's written in the stimulus checks, but who knows? Who knows what is going to be passed? In the check, I mean, when when uh, Trump passed his 1.8 trillion dollar uh, stimulus, I mean, nobody even read the package. <laughs> nobody even cared to read the bill because it was so long. I mean, they just they just passed it without even reading what was in the bill. And so, uh, you know, if if if. Now the Democrats want to sneak in some some type of universal basic income. It's not, it's not. I don't think it's hard to do. And apparently he wants to split the bill into a uh, kind of a two times program. So he's going to split the three trillion into two separate bills. And uh, wait, did I just say Trump passed the? 1,800, I mean 900, I don't know what, what I'm doing. My brain right now is not wanting to do math. But the, but the point is, uh, they, you know, when they're passing these bills, a lot of the times, I mean, nobody even cares to actually read in to what is in the bill. And so, you know, in, in, in back then in that bill, you know, we gave a ton to foreign aid and it was supposed to be a coronavirus relief bill and we're just donating money to foreigners for like social programs and, and for military foreign militaries and it, it doesn't make any sense because I mean first of all the United States can't afford it and most countries can't afford it uh, because look at the debt look at the unfunded liabilities you know, the federal debt right now is probably like $27, $28 trillion. And the unfunded liabilities, which are the programs that are promised to be delivered, but 
that have not yet been paid for. So stuff like, you know, Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, this stuff. I mean, it's estimated to be worth around $140 trillion. And of course, nobody can afford it. You know, taxes, there's no way. You're not going to be able to raise taxes. If you want to raise taxes to pay for it, uh, good luck. Because you will probably end up receiving less taxes, uh, you know, like aggregate tax revenue, if you you raise them too high. Because people are just, you know, going to stop working. They're just going to use all the stimulus checks instead of, instead of, you know, actually going out there and work. Because if you're being taxed at 70% uh, when you're making, let's say, $80,000, you literally make more money on, well, actually, you make the same amount of money by collecting monthly $2,000 checks. You know, you're, you're making $24,000, so if you're going to raise taxes so high that you're actually able to afford to pay for these programs, what you're going to end up doing is you're just, you're just going to be collecting so little taxes that you're not going to be able to afford paying for these programs. And so I don't understand why uh, people are giving money to foreign aid when First of all, the U.S. can't afford it. And second of all, it's supposed to be a COVID relief package. But I want to get back to my original point, which was, you know, what is going to happen after around 2022 when uh, monetary policy is slowed and, and interest rates are no longer promised to be uh, suppressed by the Fed and the rate on the 10-year right now is around 1.67 or so. And if you look at how much uh, the Fed has actually been doing QE ever since uh, around the start of March, the Fed has, do, has been doing over $120 trillion worth of QE. And I think uh, the reason is probably to lower the yield on the 10-year, which it has done by around 10 basis points, which is a tenth of a percent. But what will happen when, you know, in 2020, at least uh, if they promise, at least if they keep the promise uh, and interest rates start coming up again, you know, what is going to end up happening? And th there's two things to it. You know, first of all, you have to ask, well, are interest rates going to come up if the Fed, you know, stops buying up treasuries? And I think they likely will. Now, it's kind of difficult to say because right now equities are, at least U.S. equities, are you know, most of them are, are so overvalued that, I mean, where, where else do you have to go other than, other than treasuries? And so if that causes a lot of people to keep on buying treasuries, now it's probably going to be, you know, the, the, at least the long-term interest rates will 
you know, probably be higher than they are now. But let's say they're at 2%. Uh, and 2% is still not, it's not high. It's still very low, historically speaking. But it's not, you know, low enough for uh, a, an incredibly easy comeback during a recession. And so uh, it will be quite possible for people to uh, rush into bonds, even if the Fed stops doing QE. But at the same time, a good reason why bond yields right now are so low is because the Fed is doing QE. So it's hard to say whether you know rates will actually rise if the Fed stops buying treasuries. But I think, you know, at the end of the day, the chances of rates rising are higher than the chances of rates staying the same or falling for that case, especially because now companies are so indebted and, you know, liquidity has been extended so far in so many areas that now uh, lenders are probably not as confident to lend anymore. And of course, the supply of borrowers will increase because, you know, that's the only way that you'll keep up an asset bubble uh, is by it's by borrowing money. And especially these zombified companies, all of these companies that aren't making any money, these guys need debt to stay alive. And so if you think about that, then there's a good chance of rates rising. And the implication of rising rates is very, very dangerous for the, you know, equities. And so if rates do rise, I think what will happen soon is, you know, we could get another uh, type of pullback in the markets or even another kind of recession type thing. And it, once we get to that point, I think bond yields will come down again, long-term bond yields, uh, kind of the yield curve will start for, start to form again. And the, you know, interest rates on the bonds will go lower. And so bondholders will profit. I think people who hold cash could do quite well in the short term. So that's one, two, maybe three years. Uh, I doubt three, but... I, it could be possible. Now, I doubt it's three, but I still think it's it's more so one or two years. I think cash bondholders could uh, benefit quite a bit and s stuff like uh, conservative uh, dividend-paying companies that are defensive, that don't drop much during uh, a recession, that won't go bankrupt and that people al will always need. So, you know, maybe that's uh, like farming companies or maybe that's uh, like a, something like a Walmart or something that is like your utilities. I mean, you need these things. Uh, you can't not have them. And so these, these things are kind of safe as well uh, in the short term. I think, well, I think they're not nearly as overvalued as some of the other things like stuff like, you know, tech. And uh, of course, we have the whole 
crypto sector, if you want to call it a sector, that is uh, incredibly speculative. And I would kind of stay away from that sector, especially if you're invested for the long run. If you're, you know, day trader, trying to make some quick money, uh, speculating, I mean, sure, go ahead. It doesn't matter which market you go to. Because what you care about is not value. What you care about is, you know, selling to someone who's willing to pay more for you uh, on whatever asset. And, and and when you're doing that, crypto is, you know, it's or even NFTs and, and this stuff. It's not a bad option if you're just like day trading and stuff like that. But if you know you're invested based on fundamentals uh, for months or years, especially years, then crypto is very speculative. It's very risky. And uh, so stuff like the more conservative, higher dividend paying stocks, these are better uh, recession proof. And at the same time, what's good is they'll offer dividends and they'll offer uh, slower, but some growth if the markets keep on going up for another year or two, which is quite possible because at least the Fed promises to, to keep rates low and to keep on doing QE. And so these uh, are better hedged against a kind of a short-term uh, crash. And, you know, stuff like cash as well is fine except you don't you don't gain any money and of course you're you're paying inflation on that and in bonds and of course i feel like the cpi really does not especially this year it did a really poor job reflecting on uh, the cost of living increase i mean you look you go to the grocery store the just the increase in prices of stuff, it's not what the government reports. Because if you look at the reported inflation rate uh, in the United States last year, 2020, it was 1.4%. But that's complete nonsense if you actually go to the grocery store or any store for that matter that's not like, you know, some of the special things. Stuff like, you know, very ex expensive luxury goods or, uh, you know, whatever, like, things that are uh, just, that lose pretty much all of their demand because of COVID. You know, if you, if you buy the regular things that, uh, you know, you have to use every day, like groceries, like utilities, like... You know, clothes, like rent, like gasoline, stuff like this, you will not only be experiencing a 1.4% increase in your cost of living. It's, it's complete, just, you know, it's just completely inaccurate. You know, the, the cost of rent has increased significantly. And of course, that's not counted in the CPI. The cost of gasoline, I guess, I guess it's kind of dropped, and then it's gained all of its cost back, 
if not more. And so that's kind of, you know, it's not necessarily a, a, a terrible thing. It's not a terrible increase. But the cost of food, I mean, the cost of food has really increased quite a lot. And of course, CPI doesn't count food, energy, you know, rent. So you have quite a problem with that. And so with cash or bonds, you're going to have to be losing money or at least purchasing power at the rate of inflation, which is probably understated. And that's why if you're buying a an inflation protected treasury, I mean, you're at the risk of, of, of government lying to you about the rate of inflation, which I mean, I, I guess, I mean, maybe the government's not lying, but if, if, I mean, maybe the, the, the grocery store is lying, I don't know, <laughs> maybe your wallet's lying, but I mean, I wouldn't go for that or any of these uh, options as a long-term investment. Now, maybe the, the more conservative dividend-paying stocks are not bad as a long-term investment, uh, but they're, I mean, but the cash and the bonds are a much better short-term investment than they are long-term investment. Because I could see a pullback or, you know, even a recession in a year or two. And most likely it's going to be some type of pullback. Uh, if it's if it's a slow and steady drop in the market, it's probably going to be a pullback because what's going to happen is probably the Fed's probably going to come back and announce asset purchase program, QE, and uh, they're going to lower rates again and try to prop up the market again. But if we have some type of black swan event like COVID and, and something crazy happens, then we could get another super steep type of 2020 recession instead of just a pullback that's slower and, and more controlled. We could get a just a quick sharp drop. And uh, for especially for a quick sharp drop, the cash and bonds would be better. Um, and for a, a slower but, you know, still kind of fast but slower uh, kind of pullback in the markets, I think uh, the, the dividend-paying stocks would be better. Uh, but they, they all work in that situation. Now, the reason why I mentioned the stimulus, one is because it's $3 trillion. <laughs> That's quite important. But another reason why I uh, talked, I was talking about stimulus is because I have a feeling, and you know, it's kind of, sort of, I mean, it's kind of a political bet. But what I'm betting on is that, and especially uh, since the Biden administration said they want to pass the bill in two separate uh, types, you know, in two separate programs, so one following another, it more so uh, kind of kind of reinforced my theory, which was that 
governments will roll out a kind of kind of permanent uh, fiscal stimulus to stimulate the economy. Now, you know, they say it's to, to use for infrastructure and uh, fighting climate change, green energy, stuff like this. But it, I mean, three trillion dollars basically being printed and just shoved into the economy somewhere. I mean, that's it's fiscal stimulus. I mean, it doesn't matter how you put it, but it's stimulus. It's just three trillion dollars. I mean, that's not a small number. And it doesn't matter what you use it for. If you're going to use it, it's injected into the economy. And they're do, they're going to do two programs, uh, which together add up to three trillion dollars. And so I have uh, a, an inflationary theory, and this is what I believe uh, could lead to inflation. It's a mixture of government spending, all this fiscal stimulus, and uh, just rough monetary policy. And together, this could keep the markets up. But I, I think what we're going to get is a long road of kind of high, but not hyperinflation, but a long road of high, you know, somewhere maybe around 8, 7, 10% inflation for quite a long period of time. And of course, the dollar seems to be somewhere around, you know, the peak of a, of a bull cycle uh, the US dollar uh and so that's that even that puts even more pressure on inflation and the reason why I think this is because i think after after all these stimulus packages whenever we have trouble somewhere government's just going to throw out trillion dollar stimuli stimuluses it doesn't matter what you call them the point is that's going to inject massive amounts of money into the real economy. And as long as the Fed is willing to monetize the government's debt, which it's pretty much always willing to do, then we basically have the Fed printing money and the government spending it. And that's inflationary. Now, I don't think we're going to get hyperinflation because I don't think all of this injected money is going to just come in all at once. I think what's more likely to happen is we're going to get kind of, you know, like bursts of inflation. Um, but they're, they're little bursts uh, over a long period of time. So, you know, maybe we're getting 7% inflation every year and then we'll get a you know when the when the if if they're sending stuff like stimulus checks then you know they send it and and for the next uh short period of time inflation could go to 10% and then come back to 7 and something like this uh could happen if the government keeps on sending stimulus checks now i think what could lead to hyperinflation, but I don't think hyperinflation is too, too likely. I think what could lead to it is if everybody becomes just incredibly scared of the dollar, you know, Americans 
in the economy become scared of it. And at the same time, foreigners become scared of it. They're like, you know, I don't want no more dollars. I don't want all this U.S. Treasury debt. And I don't want to run these trade surpluses with the United States anymore. And if they're like, uh, the U.S. dollar, I can't use this as the reserve currency. We're getting so much inflation. It's not worth holding uh, in my reserves. You know, I'm using it to buy oil or, or to transact, but I'm losing so much value in the dollar that I don't want to use the dollar to, to buy oil or to transact with other countries anymore. And if that happens, we could see hyperinflation. Now, the, the, the thing blocking that is kind of like, uh, I, I feel like this kind of inflationary cycle is going to be somewhat global. Because the whole world is heavily indebted. You know, the United States is, Europe, Japan. I'm in Canada. And Canada certainly just, just you know, we don't even have a budget. <laughs> we don't even have a budget. These, these guys in, in Parliament are like, we'll just spend whatever we want. <laughs> we don't even have a budget. And so I think it's going to be kind of a, a, a worldwide type thing, which will, could kind of protect the dollar's reserve currency status. And so I think what's most likely to happen is, in the long run, is we could get a long period of uh, this, this global inflation accompanied and, and, and driven by just never-ending fiscal stimulus, which is basically what we're getting now. I mean, how many stimuluses have we gotten so far? We've gotten the first one. <laughs> I don't even remember. Uh, the CARES Act. What was, how much was that? Let me, let me think. Uh, I think it was $2.2 And then we got the $900 billion, And then we get the $1.9 trillion. And then we're getting a three trillion. When is this going to end? And of course, the three trillion is not all, all at once. It's part one and part two. And so that, you know, you could call it four, but it's five. And I don't think they're going to throw in big stimuluses. I think they're going to, you know, roll out many constant stimuluses. And so that's going to cause long, a, a long period of inflation and you know the way to cancel or or try to get rid of or fight the inflation is by just massively rising rate you know rising interest rates you know like Paul Volcker did but with today's federal debt today's spending today's asset bubbles i i really doubt we can go back and do that type of rate rising move again. And if we do, it's going to just be catastrophic to, to every market. Uh, and the government's probably going to have to soon default on their debt, which would also be practically a move that the Federal Reserve will never resort to. I mean, the Fed's never going to let the U.S. federal government default. 
And so my point of this podcast was that I think that in the short term, we could see some type of deflation or pullback in a year or two. And I think that cash and bonds are not a bad idea. And especially conservative dividend paying stocks, they're also not bad, not bad. But I think in the long term, the Fed and the and the federal government, with all of their fiscal spending, is going to come in, try to save the, the stock market, try to save the economy, try to save real estate. And I think they're going to cause quite a lot of inflation. Now, maybe it's going to be hyperinflation. I don't think it's too likely, but it's possible. Um, and I think you have to be careful that if it does happen, uh, you have to be prepared, uh, especially since we, you know, I think the U.S. dollar right now, cyclical, cyclically speaking, is overvalued. Um, but even if we don't get hyperinflation, which, I, I mean, I think it's not too likely. I, I don't think it's too likely. But uh, I, th- I still think we're going to get inflation and probably over quite a long period of time. And so if we get that, then, you know, stuff like natural resources, stuff like commodities will do quite well. The just the, the overvalued speculative stuff like Tesla and all these EV companies and all of these IPOs selling at crazy prices. These guys, I, I, I would be careful, very careful of them. And uh, stuff like cryptocurrency, if you're using that to hedge against inflation, I, I mean, it's not a store of value, first of all, because a store of value doesn't go from 50k to 40k to 60k to f- it doesn't do that and it's not an inflation hedge because i mean the, the the quantity stays the same but it's it's value i mean there's no value at all so i mean i'd stay away from you know the speculative stocks and crypto unless if i was day trading which i'm not doing right now but uh, again, I think that cash, bonds, conservative, dividend-paying stocks will do quite well in the short run. And stuff like commodities, which cyclically speaking are uh, undervalued actually. And also some foreign equities uh, are also quite undervalued. And, you know, maybe even the, the, the you could throw in the more conservative, less overvalued, uh, you know, higher dividend-paying stocks, these guys could also potentially do quite decent over the longer term. So like 10, 15 years or so.